Well, if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 through 24 this morning. William Wilberforce was a man that God used to abolish the slave trade in England in the 19th century. Yet before all of that, before his countless debates and his stances and his many efforts, as a 25-year-old new believer in Christ, he was lost as to what he was to do. You see, he had been in politics at that point for four years, known and well-known publicly, yet now here he was, a Christian. And so what should he do? These are some of the questions that he was wrestling with as he had had this time in politics, and now he knows Christ. And so should he become a minister and quit politics? Should he stay in politics, or what should he do? Well, as you can imagine, he longed for clarity on this. And what to do? What should he do? Become a minister or quit politics altogether? And so he arranged a meeting with the minister, John Newton. Now, if that sounds familiar to you, yes, that was the same John Newton who wrote the song we so often sing here, Amazing Grace. Newton's counsel would change the trajectory of Wilberforce's life. And not just his life, but really of history, even to this very day. Well, in many ways, our passage this morning gives direction on just this front as well. So often we wonder about God, what God is calling us to do. You know, should we do this or should we do that? You know, day after day, job things happen, family changes and so on. And so these questions come, should we do this or should we do that or should we do this other thing? Yet Paul... This morning, in our verses, he sets forth the main thing, the central thing that we are to do right now, every one of us, right where we are, right where you are. So to see this, let's begin reading here with verse 17 of chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. May God bless the reading of his inerrant word. Amen. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. 
For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when, you, when called? Do not be concerned about, about that or about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Now, if you've been tracking with Paul so far, as we have been walking through 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it's at this point you might just be a bit confused. Hasn't Paul been talking about marriage, right? And sex within marriage and singleness and how to think through marriage and divorce? So why in the world is he now turning and saying, all right, everybody, let's talk about circumcision and bond servants. Do you see what I mean? Like, how does it get to that? Like, how is it connected? Yet, this is a perfect example of why context matters. The Corinthians' concern that Paul has been addressing is directly connected to what he says in these verses this morning. So in view of their concerns, now that they are believers, should they stop having sex within marriage? And you'll remember he addressed that, didn't he? He said absolutely not. Rather than restricting sex within marriage, embrace it and embrace it regularly. And so he answered that. And then now that they are believers... Should they, as we saw last week, should they get a divorce? And what was his answer? No. Rather, stay married or stay unmarried to the glory of God. And so, rather than leaving everything, he's telling them to remain as they are. And there it is. There's the connection that has been the undercurrent of everything he's been saying so far in Romans chapter 7. And he's telling them, and he's telling us, to serve the Lord where you are. That's the point. And like I said, he's really been making this point all along. And this is also why, as we complete these verses this morning... We're not there yet, and maybe you're wishing we were there already, but we're not there yet. But this is why next week, in the coming verses, he'll pick right back up on marriage and singleness, because he really didn't change the subject. So now, as he makes that point, serve the Lord where you are, he provides a theological and practical basis for this. He puts their salvation in context. He puts their salvation in 
context. So we see that here with the words assigned and called in verse 17. So let me read that for you. Now, this isn't the only time we're going to see mainly that word called there. Called, 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 call. You're going to see it again and again in our verses. So verse 17, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. And so the word assigned here is where they are right now. He's saying God is in that, where you are right now. God is in that. God's sovereign purposes and plans are right there, right where they are, and right where you are right now. So assigned. And that brings us then to the second word here as well, the word called or call that you'll see again and again in these verses. He's talking about when God saved them. So while they were spiritually dead, they heard the gospel, thinking of John chapter 3, if you know John chapter 3 with Nicodemus, right? And says, you must be born again, Nicodemus. Well, they heard the Corinthians, they heard the gospel call and the wind of the Spirit blew and they were born again and life was imparted and their spiritually dead heart began beating and they cried out to the Lord to save them. And He did. And that is exactly what God does and has done in you if you know Christ this morning. And so this is why he asked them, talking about called, when God saved them. In verse 18, was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? As in, when God saved you, were you already circumcised? Now this isn't the first time we've seen this in the letter either, right? I mean, all of this connects back to chapter 1. So, you can look there, or it'll be on the screen there, from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24 through 31, and I'll just read verse 26 through 27. So Paul, he says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. But we could stop right there and see so many ways that this is just humbling to every one of us in this room. I will stop and just say, there's no room for pride here, believers. You're not here because you're better than anyone else. I'm not up here because I'm better than anyone else. It is because of God's grace. That's why no one can boast, 1 Corinthians 1.31. And if you do boast, you boast in the Lord. And so come humble to these verses, even as the Corinthians were being called to be humbled in those verses in chapter 1. And so Paul, he is interweaving all of this to make this broad application. And here's the application. Live, serve, work, marry, be married, or be single where you are to the glory of God. So glorify God 
in your body where you are. And that also has been an undercurrent of our verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. There's the main thing. Right where you are. Now, as you hear all of this, that doesn't mean you're stuck, right? He's not saying, okay, you got saved while you were working at McDonald's. Well, now, guess what? <laughs> now you're stuck there forever. <laughs> you get to stay at McDonald's for the rest of your life. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, as believers, don't leave everything but serve Christ right there, right now, right where you are in the thick of it. That is God's primary calling everywhere and anywhere you are, always. And he'll apply this to marriage and singleness as well, as I said in the coming verses, verses 25 onward. But here, as we're thinking about this, and he will apply that specifically to marriage and singleness, but consider some other implications of this. So, for example, consider your vocation or what you do, your job. So we aren't to think, okay, there within the church building, as a pastor, elder, as a deacon, as a nursery worker, or Sunday school teacher, or whatever they're doing, that's where I serve God. If I want to serve God, I can only do it in the church. Well, that's not it, friends. You're not only serving God when you serve in the church, but you're serving Him and you are to serve Him where you are. God sovereignly has assigned you right where you are right now for His glory. So Paul is saying, follow Christ where you are. As an engineer, as a janitor, as an analyst, as a teacher, whether you're in childcare or you're a homemaker or you're in retail work or something else, whatever you do, there you are to serve God. Now, just to make sure I'm clear, this does not mean don't serve in the church. So you may have thought, like, oh, wait a minute, he just said, I don't, that's not the main thing, so I don't even have to serve in the church then. That's not it either. You know, and let me just say this, God may even be calling some of you into the ministry. He may be calling you to become a pastor. And so perhaps right now this morning, you need to ask that of yourself. Well, maybe it is. That's where God's calling me to go and serve. But what you need to see here is that Paul is saying both. All of that in the church, outside of the church, anywhere, everywhere, all of that and more to the glory of God. You know, there aren't these kind of circles in your life 
that are totally unrelated to God and service to God. Like right now you're in the circle of the church, so everyone be godly, you know, put that smile on, right? No, well, it's certainly in the case of like a mask-centered Christianity, but yes, serve God here, but it's not just serve God there. And then you have work over here and you say, well, you know what? That area, work, that's not for serving God. And my family here, that's not for serving God. And when I go to a movie or go eat, out, eat at a restaurant, that's not for serving God. This is the only place I serve God. There are not these circles in our lives. Instead, it's your whole life. Your whole life is the circle. Serve God right there. The whole thing. Everywhere. Anywhere. Serve Christ. Now before we go further along these lines, Paul, he has more to say here. And he helps us here. He gives two examples to illustrate and to apply this for us. And we see this in verses 18 through 24. And so he spends the rest of our passage illustrating and applying verse 17. And this is why he brings it back up again and again, like in verse 20 and verse 24, saying essentially the same thing again. Now it's here that we might think that all of this really is just unrelated. Like bond servants and circumcision. <laughs> How does that relate to all this? But not so. I mean, these examples perfectly make Paul's point. So let's look at these. So see his first example in point here. Whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, serve Christ. So among the Corinthians, it wasn't likely that there were many Jews among them. However, it could be that some of the Christians there were Jewish and they were trying to hide their circumcision. Or, on the other side of that, whether, you know, like Gentile Christians, they may have been actually considering whether they should be circumcised as part of an avenue of godliness. And so Paul is kind of addressing this because these are subjects that are rather uncontroversial to the Corinthians. Because if they were controversial, you better guarantee Paul would address them, i.e. Galatians. And so he brings these up as a point of non-contention, non-contentious. And so as we're thinking about circumcision, I'm sure everyone knows the significance of, the circumcision, of circumcision in the Old Testament. Well, maybe not, right? I mean, that is something that is so often that can be foreign to us. And so, what was all that about? Now, in Old Testament terms, circumcision was pretty significant. It was a covenant sign that you were part of God's covenant community, Israel. Now, that didn't mean that you actually cared about God. That's why in the Old Testament, God again and again says, they have uncircumcised hearts. I want your life, I want your heart, even in the Old Testament. Which maybe not even in the Old Testament. 
because God's ways really should not be a surprise to us. And so that was part of it. That was part of what Paul is addressing here is Old Testament terms, circumcision. But circumcision also pointed forward to the need, and I won't go into detail on this, but the need for offspring, right? So more specifically, it pointed to God's covenantal promises to Abraham of an offspring that would come who would make all things right again who would come to save sinners, and he would reconcile them to God. And so Paul, he writes here, in light of the truth that the offspring has come. And so now this verse, verse 19, I mean, it really is making an incredible statement here. Paul is making an incredible statement. He says, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision. So, taken along with verse 18, Paul's saying, don't hide your circumcision and don't get circumcised because that's not the main thing. And really, it doesn't count for anything anymore. And that's the incredible statement. Something that was so important in the Old Testament really is not important anymore. And why is that? Because who circumcision pointed to has come. Jesus has come. Now, in Christ, he is our circumcision. He is your circumcision. And this is exactly what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2. He says, In Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Skipping to verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So in light of Jesus and that work and his work on the cross, circumcision does not count for anything. It's not to be on our new covenant radar because Jesus is our circumcision. Jesus is the main thing. He's the show. So in view of this, Paul makes this point in verse 19. Walk in accord with God and His commandments. Walk in accord with God and His commandments. So verse 19 again, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, you can add, counts for anything, but keeping the commandments of God. Now, as you hear that, Paul is not contradicting himself here, as in, you're to say, no to circumcision, which was commanded, Genesis chapter 17, under the old covenant, but then you're to go say yes to keeping commandments. That's not his point. He's saying, in Christ... Friends, believers, live in Christ. 
You're holy. You're sanctified. You are a child of God. And by the power of the Spirit of God, you are to be like Christ. And so in Him, we don't walk in obedience for salvation, but flowing from salvation, we walk in obedience in accord with Christ and the law of Christ. And this is why I asked Megan if she would read John chapter 14. And so it's worth seeing here as well. Note what Jesus said there in John 14, 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. So in Christ, and out of love for Christ, by faith in Christ, looking to the cross of Christ, we walk by the Spirit of Christ. And so obedience to commandments here, for us as believers, it's not like we look at those and say, ugh, but in Christ, we walk out of obedience of faith because we do love Christ. Because he has caused us to be born again. Because we do know him. We love him. And we love his word. And we love to hear his word. We love to take up his word. Like right now, you're hearing God's word from his word. And you're loving it. Because these are the words of my Lord. And I want to do them. I want to take them up. Tell me what I need to do, Lord. And I'll do it. Not because I'm trying to be saved, but because I am saved. Because I love you and I treasure you above anything else. That's why this makes total sense, what Paul is saying here. Out of love for the Lord, you gladly want to follow him. In the midst of struggles of heart, struggles of family, struggles of life, your answer is always yes to God. And so we make it our aim to be like him. And so what Paul is saying here is right in line with that. And so the point is, be like him, love him, live for him right where you are. In whatever you're doing right where you are so that's the first example the second example and point is this whether you're a bond servant or freed man serve Christ now as Paul addresses bond servants or you could just rightly say slaves we need to make sure that we're clear on what he's talking about here in these verses. He's not talking about slavery in the United States. He's not talking about the transatlantic slave trade, nor is he even talking about racism. Now, that doesn't mean what he says here doesn't have implications for those, which it does. But we just need to see that slavery then in Paul's day 
was not the same slavery as we know now. And that makes total sense because none of it had happened yet, right? America didn't exist. Transatlantic slavery didn't exist. And so to understand his point here, we need to understand slavery in Paul's day. It was different from the kind of slavery you might think of now. Yet, at the same time, in many ways, it's rather similar too. So it still wasn't good. It wasn't better. It was different. So within Rome, there was a mixture of voluntary and involuntary slavery. It wasn't based on race. That's why I say this isn't, in his days, not looking out, thinking racism. Because it wasn't based on race, slavery. Anyone could be a slave in the Roman Empire. And many were slaves because they were prisoners of war. But some would actually choose to become slaves in order to have shelter, to have food, to have clothes, to be cared for, and even so they could learn certain skills to better themselves. Yet even so, as you hear all that, don't think, oh, that's not, that's not that bad, but yeah, it still was not good. People were devalued, they were treated as property, they were beaten, they were threatened, and they were sexually mistreated. And so don't think for a second, well, yeah, that's, that's something we should embrace. No. It still was wrong. Yet all of this makes Paul's point here all the more poignant. He tells them, in the midst of being slaves, don't be or act like a slave. If they were bondservants or slaves, don't be undone by that. That's what Paul says. Don't be overcome by it. God has assigned you there to be like Christ right there. But if you can, if possible, verse 21, then you should become free. And verse 23, don't become slaves of men. And so Paul, he writes there in verse 22 and 23, for he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. What is he saying? He's saying, wherever you are, see what you are. Even if you are in the midst of slavery in a nation, you primarily need to be identified by Jesus Christ. If you are a believer in another country, suffering persecution right now in prison, you are to be identified by who you are. You are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Live for Christ right there. Who you are in Christ defines you, not those other things. So in slavery or freedom, in bad times or good times, in times of injustice or in times of justice, in all times, all places and circumstances, see that you are already free in Christ. And you're a slave of Christ as well. Now as you hear all this, you're not to think, oh well, I guess 
It's not a big deal. Well, that's not what he's saying either. He's not saying suffering isn't a big deal. Injustices, you know, that's not a big thing. Slavery, you know, that's not, not a big deal either. He's not saying that. He is saying, see your primary calling wherever you are is to know and serve Christ right there. He's your master. You don't belong to anyone. You belong to Christ. And so he tells the slave, you may be a slave, but friend, you are free in Christ. And he tells the freedman who's like, I'm free. Well, he says, no, you are a slave of Christ. He's your master slave. He's your master freedman. Serve Christ right there for God's glory. You were bought and you were redeemed. You were ransomed with a price. Now as you hear all of that, without being dismissive of the evil of slavery, let me tell you there's something worse than being a slave. There's something worse than suffering. And there's something worse even than death itself. It's being a slave spiritually. It's dying, perhaps even after leaving this service, and going into everlasting separation from God. That might be where some of you are right now. Yet even now, the gospel call for you is come. Jesus' call to you is come. He came and he paid the price for your sin. And even now, at this very moment, he can save you. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Repent and believe the gospel. And so the question for you this morning, if you're here and you don't know Christ, will you repent and will you believe him today to be freed forever? And so you need to see that he came to pay the price for your sin. You were bought with a price. And so if you're here and don't know Christ, that's what you need to do. But if you're here and you do know Christ, see God's sovereign purposes right where you are. See God's sovereign purposes right where you are. At this very moment, whether you're married or you're single, God, he has you right there. He has you, friends, right there at your job. He has you right there in the thick of trials, in the thick of sufferings. He has you in the midst of hard things, and he has you in the midst of easy things. You know, so often we ask, you know, where would God have me go? You know, what would he have me do? What would he have me be? Now, those aren't bad questions or even wrong questions to ask. 
But see, even now, he has you right where you are. Right where you are. And he's calling you, whoever you are, to serve him right there, right now, not later. There's not, you're not to look at a future point and say, well, that's when I'm going to serve God. When I get older, I'm no longer a child. That's when I'm going to do it, when I'm an adult. Or maybe when I get to this point in my Bible reading, or maybe when I get this point in my prayer life, or maybe when I get this point in my evangelism, then I'll serve God. No, friends. Now is the time for you to serve Christ right where you are and do it to the uttermost. Pour out your life as a burnt offering before the Lord. Trust Him. Hope in Him. Look to Him. Serve Him right where you are. Now, things might change. You know, your situations might change. The weight of difficulties might lighten. God may be moving you to something else. But if they don't, if he doesn't still see his sovereign call for you to serve him, to love him, to worship him, to praise him, and to tell of him, and to glorify him right where you are. So, whatever situation you're in, glorify God where you are as servants and slaves of Christ. Ask yourself this morning, are you prioritizing Christ and living your life for Christ where you are right now? You're not looking down the road. You're not saying, once I have this or I have that. Once I'm married, once I'm this or that, once I have that job, once I, you know, I graduate or whatever it is. How are you prioritizing living for Christ where you are right now? Or even ask, have you become distracted from the main things? From Christ and life and service to Him? And if so, Ask yourself, what do you need to do to be about those things, about the main things today, at work, in your life, and in this church? And as you're hearing this, friends, don't shy away from repentance. Don't shy away from humbling yourself. Don't shy away from denying yourself. That's exactly what the cross calls us to do. So it may well be this morning that God is calling you to repent, to humble yourself, and to deny yourself. And you know what? I can tell you He is because that's exactly what the cross calls us to again and again and again. So in the midst of his questions. Wilberforce met with Newton. What would he say? What kind of counsel would Newton 
give Wilberforce? Should Wilberforce serve God or continue in politics? I mean, what should he do? What should it be? Well, Newton's counsel was rather simple, and it was essentially this. He said, why don't you do both? And that's what he did. He served God right where he was. And how God used him right there. And so also for us, so also for you, in the good, in the bad, in the mountains, in the valleys, serve him right there, right where you are. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we come before you and Lord, how often we so often can muddle things up. We can look out and perhaps even in many ways because of the air we breathe around us saying, well, that's my dream. That's my ambition. That's the thing I want to do. That's the thing I want to be. And once I'm that, once I have that, once I get that, once I have that person or once whatever it is, once I have children, once I'm married or whatever it is, we say, then I will serve God. But Lord, you're calling us not to that, but you're calling us to serve you now. And so help us, each of us, to do just that. Help us, Lord, to serve you right where we are. Unashamedly, you have assigned us, you have put us here in 2023. Yes, these days may be bad, but God, you have put every single person in this room for this day and for this age to be a witness for your name. And so help us, Lord, to take up that call to the main thing, to serve Christ where we are. Or as Paul, if married, as someone who's married or single, as someone who's single or anything and everything, work, job, here, there, may we serve you, Lord. We pray, Father, we ask that you would be with each person here as they respond to your word, that you would help them to take these words to heart, and you would help any here who don't know Christ this morning, they would see their need for you and come. And so be with us as we sing this song of response and help us respond as we're called to do every Sunday to respond to your word. So be with us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.